Good morning, good afternoon to those tuning into the show right now. I'm your host, Tavares Wilson. As you all know by now, I always get the last word. Now, let's jump right into it, man. So I got a lot of things I want to talk about today, guys. going to speak on the situations currently going on in the NBA right now. We're going to give a little bit of perspective of the things or the way certain things are viewed by myself. And get into the NFL review and my thoughts after week three and headed into week four see exactly what transpired or what I believe would transpire. Now, with all that being said, I don't believe I went over this at all because I think these cases started to develop before, I mean, after, excuse me, my last episode. But if you all do not know, but I'm sure you know by now, Emilio Doku is actually suspended for the year for the Boston Celtics. He, if you don't know who Mayor Duca is, he's the Boston Celtics head coach who led, helped lead this team to a finals run last season. He is suspended because he had a consensual romantic relationship with a female staff member, a part of Boston. Now, if you all are not aware, that is direct violation of guidelines and rules set in place that the Boston Celtics or any other organized organization will have set in place. That, you know, there can't be any romantic behavior or, like, relationships involving co-workers. Or, you know, because it's just, this is a business. At the end of the day, I mean, yes, the NBA is entertainment, it's a game, it's basketball, but this is still a business at the end of the day. He violated that and... There also, I'm not how I'm not sure how much foundation and footing there is to this, but there was also speculation and rumors as well saying that he actually was saying harassing things to other female workers and also to the woman, even though she ended the consensual relationship that they had. And if that is the case, he should be fired. I mean, it's to me, it's just that simple. He, sh- he should lose his job. Because if this was an average Joe or someone on the street that did something like this, you know, harass women at his workplace on a consistent basis, there's no questions as if a buzz about it. He would have lost his job the same day it would have been reported with little to no proof. They, I mean, Emilio Doku, if all of these things are true, he should easily lose his job. I don't, I don't see how the Boston Celtics could even look at their females' workers the same when they still have this guy on a payroll and with a job. I just don't feel as if he should be there if that is the case. Now, if it's not the case, the suspension is warranted because at the end of the day, he, he did not follow guidelines. He stepped out of his rules and regulations. But the thing I do not like that I've seen this narrative going around is that people feel as if the woman should just be scot-free and receive no punishment. At the end of the day, she's a worker for the Boston Celtics as well. She signed a contract. She knew what she could not do or what she could do for the sake of the business and her career. And she proceeded to do it anyway. At at some point, repercussions and consequences for your actions have to be put in place. So if she receives a suspension as well, that's just rightfully so. I mean, it takes two to tangle. Again, he was in a consensual relationship with this woman. So why would it not make sense to not also suspend her, who was also a direct staff member of the Boston Celtics as well? Just doesn't make sense to me. Now, I know a lot of people are going to say, 
You know, he's a married man. He knew better this and that third. She knew he was married. She knew she, he was married. I mean, who doesn't, who didn't know he was married? It's Nia Long. Like, well, not married, engaged. He, he, she knew he had a woman at the end of the day. She knew that. She still proceeded to do whatever they did with each other. So at the end of the day, this is still both on them. You can put more blame on whoever you choose to put, but they both deserve blame. That's what it comes down to. They both should be suspended. Now, with that being said, I just want to speak briefly about this really fast. I don't like that a lot of people are just really honing in on this story, but no one seems to want to speak about what Brett Favre did, basically stealing money from the poorest of poor in our country. If you all don't know, Brett Favre actually stole welfare money and checks from the people in the, you know, again, poverty families and homes in the state of Mississippi. These are, this is the poorest people you ever come across of in these situations. But Brett Favre being the, you know, the good Samaritan he is, he's, he takes money from them. And then how we know he did it, tried to do it discreetly, and you know, he was doing something he knew he shouldn't have no business doing. I remember the interview, or like one of the messages, it was a DM or something, I forgot, but he actually asked, could this be traced back to me? Meaning he knew what he was doing, and he knew it was wrong, but still proceeded to do it. And I don't like the fact that that got little to no coverage at all, but it made Doku Chison is engaged, you know, engaged near long with a staff member. It's the biggest story for the last two weeks. For the last week, at least. Just doesn't make sense to me, man. I mean... Again, I know the narrative. I understand why those things are the way they are. And what's understood don't need to be explained at this point. But it's just crazy to me, honestly. And other NBA news, though, Russell Wilson, not Russell Wilson, excuse me, Russell Westbrook is actually, he, he, was, he said some things that kind of caught my attention. And it tells me that he, I believe he understands that the Lakers truly do not want him, which... If I'm being honest, man, I feel for the man because it's like he didn't ask to be there. Like, you know, they they traded for they traded for me. Like, I didn't ask to come here. Like, maybe him and Braun talked prior, who knows? But at the end of the day, it was up to the Lakers to make the move. They made the move. Now it seems as if that they don't want the man even on the roster. And he's starting to his actions are starting to reflect that. And let me pull up that direct quote for you guys. Give me one second. But basically the coach, basically the quote was basically insinuating that Russell Westbrook, he, he, you can tell by his comments and by his demeanor, he knows that he's not fully wanted there and it's starting to wear on him. And he feels as if that if you don't want me, just simply trade me. I mean, to me personally, I think that's what's best for both sides. I mean, I don't, I truly still in my heart of hearts believe Russell Wilson, I keep saying Russell Wilson, Russell Westbrook is a starter in this league and a potential all-star player. I still believe that because when LeBron and AD went out and I, I believe they played the Hornets, they, you know, they did end up losing. During that stretch, during that game, Russell Westbrook went for, I believe, 28 and 10 and 8. 
I mean, those are all-star numbers. But he only got that once with, I mean, LeBron and AD were both off the court where he could actually have the ball in his hands and create and run an offense like he's used to. He can't do that with LeBron and AD both on the court. That's why I never feel as if this was a good mesh or a good matchup to begin with when they traded for him. I just, I, I always felt as if the Lakers should have went out and got Buddy Hill. Always felt that way. But they didn't. You know, it is what it is. You can only play the cards you dealt. Can't do nothing else about it. But with that being said, though, let's get off into some NFL news. And we're getting into my week three thoughts. And let me say this. As you all know in this show, as you all know if you listen to me for quite some time, I am a Dolphin fan. I'm a huge Dolphin fan. I've been critical of my team. I've been, some will even say overcritical of my team. But I do not care. I don't care. I have standards and I have things I want to see out of my team because I want to see my team be as successful as possible. If I could, I would make them play a perfect game every Sunday. If I could, I would want to see them win every game. That is extreme. I know that's extremely idealistic of me, but I got to be realistic. And realistically, you can't play a perfect season. It's only been done once. I, granted, it was the Dolphins, but at the end of the day, it's been done once. You had, I believe it was 14 games back then when it was done. Nine out of ten times, it's not happening again. Teams today are just too damn good, and it is hard to sustain health with the amount of athleticism and impact you have on some of these hits, man. I mean, it's just crazy. Good thing medicine is good as it is now, though. But with that being said, I am tired of the excuses that people are handing the Bills after losing one damn game to the Miami Dolphins. The Bills have beaten the brakes off us for three straight years before this game. No one ever made an excuse. No one. At least me personally. I don't know anyone who has ever made an excuse to why we continuously lost to the Bills. And the only thing people said was that the Dolphins simply are not on their levels. They're just not. The Bills have better players. They got better coaching. The defense really good. Whatever people said, just know they didn't excuse. They didn't use the weather as an excuse like a lot of Bills fans, a lot of other people are. They didn't use injuries as an excuse like a lot of fans, other people are. They didn't say none of those things. All we said was that we have to be better. We cannot keep letting this team curb stump us. And the one Sunday, the one Sunday that came and the Cows finally got called home for us and we won the game against the Bills, now it's all the excuses in the world for why the Bills lost this game. Now the weather, the sun in Florida and how the stadium is built is cheating. It's it's irresponsible of the Dolphins to use home field advantage for what it is. It's a home field advantage. Now it's, oh, we had 100 starters out. Now, listen, I'm not denying that the Bills were dealing with the heat and injuries, but the Dolphins dealt with the same stuff, same exact stuff. Just like how they were down the starting two starting corners. At one point in this game, the Dolphins was down both their starting corners. Byron Jones has been out the past four weeks. 
he will be missing this Thursday game as well because he's on the pup list. Xavier Howard went out for at least two series, two, three series in the game. So at one point, you didn't have either one of your starting corners. Austin Jackson, gone. Raquan Davis, starting D-tackle, he was out this game too. So it's, we had four to five guys as starters not playing, just like how the Bills had, I believe, six to seven guys not playing. Yes, two more players, but cram me a damn river. You're going to make us all excuses up in the world when your team had over 90, 90 plays in the game, over 40 minutes in the game, and the chance to win the game at the two, three-yard line, and they couldn't do it. You're going to make all the excuses to why they simply couldn't get the job done. At the end of the day, it came down to Josh Allen not making a throw. That's what it came down to. It came down to the defense bending, not breaking, it came down to the defense holding them to field goals. That has zero to do with the defense, the defensive side of the ball for you all. The defense was an issue this game. I mean, yeah, they gave up three touchdowns, but you handed one to Miami, basically. And the, the Dolphins only had, I believe, 18, 19, something along those lines. They only had about... 18 or 19 minutes of possession. They only ran 36 offensive plays. Tua only threw the ball 18 times. The Bills had ample amount of opportunities to win this game. They simply just did not win the game. Like, why is this so hard to accept and understand? Like, if I were to tell you, Josh Allen and the boys, the offense that is, would have had 90 plays in this game, and he would have threw the ball 63 times, you would have said the Bills would have blew the doors off of us. Because with that amount of opportunities and how they've been just shredding teams up to this point, you would guess they would have put up 50 on us at the minimum. But they didn't even put up half of that. They put up 17 points, and they got spotted two points. I mean... They, it's my bad. They, they got spotted two points and gave them 19, and they put up 17 as an offense, so that's special teams. I'm just saying, man, like, at what point do we just give the Dolphins credit? Josh Allen made more plays this game than Tua Tagovailoa. He did. But Tua made more impactful plays. I would argue that to the, to, you know, I would die on that hill. The, the throw he made on the post route to Jalen Waddle, biggest throw of the game. Not even up for the beef. To me, it's not even up for the beef. That led the last game winning, in that game winning, but that led the last scoring drive for the Dolphins. Biggest play of the game. Simple, simply put, it's the biggest play of the game. With that being said, though, get off into my other news for week three. Now, let's let's speak on the Cowboys situation right now. There's a little bit of a Cooper Rush situation going on. And if you all do not know, the Cowboys actually beat the Giants. You know, the, NF, the NFC East, I believe that the division is. Division rivals. And they're not 2-1 on the season. Cooper Rush, as a starter this season... He is not 2-0. He's actually won his last three straight starts as a Cowboys quarterback. And he looked pretty darn good when they beat the Giants. He looked good. Now, a lot of people are speculating, could that possibly be a quarterback controversy situation here? 
in my honest opinion, I don't believe it will be, but it can be. And here's what I mean by that. I believe that the Cowboys rush to bring back Dak Prescott, which a lot of people believe they are going to do, which I will not be surprised at. They rush to bring him back, and he does not look 100%, and he is not winning games or throwing the ball like Cooper Rush is right now. That's when the quarterback controversy will be created. But if you let him, if you let him go through his rehab properly, you let him get back up to speed properly, you understand that it's going to take time as a process, then it's not going to be a controversial thing at all because he'll come back fully healthy or as healthy as he can be. And Cooper Rush, he will, will be a backup. Now, if that press guard plays bad, then you just know, well, Cooper Rush may be our best bet this year. But if you bring him back and his hand not 100% or his thumb, whatever the case may be, then you're just doing your team, him, and Cooper Rush a disservice. Because Cooper Rush is a solid backup. Don't get me wrong, but he's, he's no starter in this league. He's not. I mean, that press guard is easily the better quarterback between the two. I think he's the more talented quarterback between the two. Let me say that. I don't. I want to say he's easily a better quarterback. I think they both do what Dallas needs for the most part at a pretty efficient level. But that just has more of the intangibles and more ability. So that's why he gets a bigger edge for me. But with that being said, I don't think it will be a controversial thing between the two quarterbacks. But like I said, it can become one. Now, that being said, let's get off into some Baltimore news regarding Lamar Jackson. And let me say this. The biggest mistake the Ravens have made this season and maybe for the future is not paying Lamar Jackson. Because I'm telling y'all now, man, Lamar Jackson right now leads the league in QBR rating. He does. He leads the league. I, I believe his QBR rating is the highest in the league. He has the highest quarterback rating out of 119. He has the most touchdowns accounted for in the league right now with 12. And he's averaging over 300 all-purpose yards a game this season on four touchdowns a game. The, the dude is playing otherworldly right now. He, he just is. He's playing otherworldly. He he looks incredible. And if he can keep this pace up, which I believe he can, because his MVP season, he had no issues sustaining the success. And his playmakers around him, I think they get a little bit more, you know, comfortable and adjusted to the system and playing with Lamar. I think it'll only get better. Offensive line will only get better as it get healthier. Excuse me, but I think the offense allowed him to be better and healthier. Mark Andrews is an all-pro in this league. With all that being said, the Ravens are, they made a huge mistake not paying this guy's money. Man. I mean, look at the market. You got Deshaun Watson, who got a $230 million guaranteed. Kyler Murray got his, I believe Kyler Murray got what, um... 185, 200, something like that. I forgot. Who is, who's not as nearly as confident as Lamar. Not not even close. And then you have Russell Wilson, who right now, by all accounts, does not look like the Russell Wilson we all expected. I mean, he got $256 million. It was $256, something like that. I mean, $250 million guaranteed. Russell Wilson got that. 
And right now, as it stands, he has not looked nearly as impressive as we thought he was going to look at the Broncos. Lamar Jackson is better than all three of those guys right now, and it's not even close. The only one you could probably make an argument for is Deshaun Watson, because simply put, we don't we haven't seen him play. So you, if you want to just assume he'll look as good as he did last time we've seen him, then yeah, he's better. But as it stands right here, right now, Lamar Jackson clears all three of those guys with no doubt whatsoever in my mind. They thought they were going to have to pay this dude 240 250 No, no, no. They're going to have to get this man 300 million guaranteed. The way he's playing, the way he's producing, and the impact he has on this team is as great, if not the greatest, as any player playing the game right now on the field. It's, it's, it's not even close. It's not even close. They lose Lamar Jackson, bro. The Ravens will become one of the worst teams in the league, and it won't be close. Their, their passing defense right now has been ranked dead last in the league for the past, I think, 20 games. They just gave up 140 yards to Devontae Parker. Listen, not to knock Devontae Parker. He's a talented dude. But he's one of the most inconsistent receiving threats you have in the league. You got Marcus Peters and Marlon Humphrey over there. You got Devontae Parker killing you for nearly 150 yards. Come on, man. Yo, your running back situation has not been good. Hasn't been ideal. J.K. Dobbins just not getting back from injury. But before he got back, who you had? Gus Edwards? I mean, he's serviceable. He ain't no one to write home about. King and Drake? Yeah. Devontae Freeman, he was there? Yeah. Le'Veon Bell? Washed. Like, the old line isn't better. So, let me, let's get this straight. Your secondary no good. Your front seven is probably the strength of this entire team as a unit. Your receiver core is at best decent. I mean, Rashad Bateman is a good rising receiver, but he, him or Devin Duvernay, they're not top 20, top 25 receivers. They're not. Don't lie to yourselves like they are. They're not. I can name 20 guys that I would easily take over. All at their best. Let's keep that in mind. All at their best. There are at least 20, 25 guys I would take over both those guys right now. No hesitation whatsoever. Mark Andrews is the only consistent high-level player on that offensive side of the ball. The, the only consistent high-level player on the Ravens, period, not named Lamar Jackson. I mean, Marcus Williams is good. Don't get me wrong. Marlon Humphrey, good, good corner. Marcus Peters, good corner. But they're not the consistent threats these guys are. That is my argument. That's what I'm saying. At the end of the day, man, he's the team. He's the team. He, he just, it, regardless of how the Ravens want to feel about that or not, he is the team, bro. He, it is what it is. He is your team. That's just what it is. Without Lamar Jackson on the Ravens right now, this is a, this team will be 0-3 right now. They'll be 0-3. And I don't even, and to be honest with y'all, I don't even think it will be, like, pretty to watch. Like, they'll, they'll probably make the Ravens game a game, not Ravens game, the Jets game a game, but the, the Patriots and the Dolphins, they would have got smoked by both of those guys. 
300 million, man. I'm telling y'all now. That's what they're going to have to pay him. 300 million guaranteed. If they don't give it to him, a franchise tag, he's already said reportedly he doesn't want to play on the franchise tag. If they, y'all, th- listen, y'all think the Browns gave up a lot for Deshaun Watson? If Lamar Jackson is traded, it would be the biggest trade, not even just in NFL history, it would be the biggest trade in sports history. You would see, you would see players, picks, money, maybe a coach <laughs> get traded for the it's gonna be wild, man. Oh my god, that'd be crazy. But I think they're gonna pay him. He, he's just too he's just way too valuable to that. He's just way too valuable to that team, man. He he just is. Now that being said, other week three thoughts that I had. The Saints, they aren't it, guys. They they're not it. Their their offense doesn't look as nearly as good as I thought it was going to look. Jameis Winston, I he is playing hurt, so you can you know you take it with a grain of salt, but their fourth quarter offense is horrible. I believe, I believe the past two games they only have 14 total points in the fourth quarter. That's the worst in the league. You know, Michael Thomas hasn't made the exact impact as you thought he would coming back. Jarvis Landry, outside of the first game of the season, hasn't done much of anything. Chris Olave, young, still learning, but you still want to see more from him. And the defense just doesn't look as good as I expected it to look this year. It just hasn't. I mean... The Panthers went out and basically hit you in the mouth. Then the Buccaneers, the week before that, they hit you in the mouth. And then you, you barely got past the Falcons in a nail-biter, and it came down to the game-winning field goal. So this is a team that is struggling right now. And this all comes back to the hiring of the head coach. I Listen, I told people, I told people straight up about Dennis Allen, man. I told people Dennis Allen is not a good coach. He, he's not. You can feel whatever way you want to feel about who. You can feel whatever way you want to feel about Jameis Winston. But like I said, Dennis Allen is not a good coach, man. It's a reason why I hated hearing that the Dolphins interviewed him for the job. Because listen, I did not want that. I did not want that dude in our building. If he would have been in our building, I probably would. I probably would resign my fandom. Because I would have been tired of watching the same BS every season. I would have been tired. I would have just been a football fan. I wouldn't have been rooting for no particular team. But with that being said, Dennis Allen isn't a good coach, guys. I'm telling y'all this. I've I've said this when he got hired. Go back and listen to the episodes. I said this when he got hired. He's not a good coach. It's showing now. He's not. Now, that being said, other thoughts I had about week three... I believe the Chiefs will be fine. I just think they had a bad game against a struggling and much needing and depriving of a win coach team. Eric Bieniemy and Patrick Mahomes getting into that little spat on the sideline was it was interesting though, especially after seeing what Lashawn McCoy had said. He was saying Eric Bieniemy doesn't. He basically was saying Eric Bieniemy doesn't really coach. He just sits there and screams at players or whatever the case may be. And that would, honestly, if that is the case, that would explain why he has gone this long without getting a job as a head coach. Because I've, I've said for the past two, three years now, I feel as if Eric Bieniemy 
should have a job like as a head coach he, he's I don't understand what more he has to do in order to get that but after seeing LaShawn McCoy's comments and after seeing his interaction with Patrick Mahomes I can start to understand why he was not being hired as a head coach in this league because he doesn't seem to be that well renounced or liked by players. And that is a problem. It Listen, I understand it's a, it's a sport, it's a game, it's a business, but you still have to be liked by the guys you're supposed to be in charge of and coaching. If they don't like you, nine out of ten times they're not going to respect you. I mean, they're just not. I mean, yeah, to a that wasn't really well liked by Brian Flores. Tua, so therefore, Tua probably didn't like Brian Flores. You think he had respect for Brian Flores? I don't care how strong-minded and solid and rock mentality Brian Flores had. You're not going to respect the guy who doesn't show you respect. You're just not. Tua didn't show him respect. I guarantee you he didn't. But... I don't know, man. I mean, that, that would explain why Airbnb doesn't have a head coaching job at this point. It really would. So I was kind of, I was kind of shocked at, when I seen that, but it answered a lot of questions that I had. But that also being said, and let's let's go through the week three schedule and who had played exactly. Let's see if I have any other thoughts that's just lingering that I can't think of right now. Excuse me. Well, Philly looked good. Philly looked good, man. They beat the brakes off the Commanders. The Rams starting to get back on track. Uh, Packers and Tampa Bay went down to a nail biter. Tom Brady just hasn't looked like Tom Brady yet. And I'm, I'm not sure when exactly he's going to get it going, but we shall see. Uh, that's about it for me, man. I already spoke everything else that really caught my eyes, but let's go into week four. And we're going to start with, for me personally, I'm, I believe this is game of the week. The Buffalo Bills versus Baltimore Ravens in Baltimore. I think this is going to be a high-scoring affair. Reason being, I think that is because I don't think the Bills have an answer for Mark Andrews or Lamar Jackson. I don't. I mean, I know they beat him in the playoffs. I believe that was last season. And Lamar didn't have his best output as a player. But at the end of the day, they're coming to Baltimore. You got to play in Baltimore. They, they're going to come in rested, but they're going to be a little beaten up from that Dolphins game. And Baltimore is, is going to come in from a Patriots game where they they play pretty lights out. So they play with a little bit of confidence. Now, with that being said, if I'm picking a winner of this game, I want the Ravens to win so, so, so bad. So if, if it is possible for the Dolphins to win this Thursday against the Bengals, you have a you basically have a, a, a two-and-a-half game lead in the division against the Bills. But I don't see that happening. I believe the Bills will win this game. I think they're going to bounce back. It's hard for me to see this team losing two straight games. 
especially when he going against the Ravens secondary that's just been absolutely torched the last couple of weeks, man. I mean, this man, Josh Allen, may throw for another 500 yards, if I'm being honest with you guys. But we shall see. Now, with that being said, my Miami Dolphins do play this Thursday, like I said. We got the Bengals. I'm expecting us to win this game. I know it's a short week, but at the end of the day, I just think we're the better team. I'm, there's no one in the secondary, to me personally, is outside of Jesse Bates, that I think is just a world beater in, as a defensive back. Eli Apple, Ch- Ch- Chibé, Wouzier, you know, Bell, he's a good... He's a good safety, but he's more of a in the box down here kind of player. He's not about to cover any of our playmakers. So I think Tua, despite the fact he will be playing kind of banged up, I think he'll have a pretty damn good game this game. And I think this will be the game the Russian attack starts to get off because you can run a ball with some of the success against this team, especially with DJ Reader, that big nose tackle, possibly missing this game. You're going to have some opportunities to run the ball. And I just believe the offense with the little burn the play they had got this past Sunday, I think for the most part they should be fine. It's the defense I'm more concerned about because you coming into this Sunday, man, you got three legit receivers come, coming in to play you. You got Chase, Higgins, and Tyler Boyd. I mean, we're already down a starting corner. Xavier Howard, he, he's going to be matched up on Jamar Chase nine out of ten times the entirety of the game. So I guess you can take that match over the grain of salt and just hope for the best because, you know, you got best on best. <clears throat> but then you got T. Higgins against Nick Needham, Keon Carson, Kato Kohu, whoever the else out there. It's a, it's, it's going to be a mismatch, man. I think Joe Burrow is going to attack whoever the hell is Tar- I mean, following T. Higgins and Tyler Boyd, he's going to still try Jamar Chase, of course, but a lot of them targets are going to go to T. Higgins. I'm telling you now. And with Joe Mixon in the mix as well, no pun intended, I believe it's going to be a tough, tough matchup for the, the Dolphins' defense, man. I think they get the job done, but I think it's going to be a tough matchup. But the reason being I edged them over them is because of two things. One, I don't think the Bengals will stop this offense. I really don't. I mean, if Tua can continuously progress and play at the level he's been playing at these past two weeks, there's zero doubt on my mind he can't go out there and throw for at least 300 yards and three touchdowns. I I strongly believe he can do that. And if the defensive line... Listen, let me say this. If there was ever a week... I, I know last episode that I was kind of hard on Jennifer. I said I need to see better from him. I still need to see better from him. I need to see better from Emmanuel Ogba as well. I, he played a decent game against the Bills. I will not take that from him. I thought he played good. He had, I believe he had five quarterback pressures. At the end of the day, he got to be better at bringing the quarterback to the ground. He missed two sacks in this game that just blew my mind. He has to bring quarterbacks to the ground. I understand it's Josh Allen. He's a bigger, stronger guy. You you got paid $15 million a season, bro. You got to make that sack. You got to make that tackle. That's it, period. I don't want to hear excuses. And with Jalen Phillips, he simply has to be better. There's nothing else to say. He just has to be better. That is it. And if there was ever a week for these two to build some confidence 
and get started and moving in the right direction is this week. You're going up against an offensive line unit that's given up 15 sacks already this season. That is five sacks a game. Like, if there was ever a week to get the pass rush going with your front four or five, it is this week right now. They have to capitalize on this. And I even believe the, the Bengals are down as their left tackle. Listen, man. You have to capitalize on this. You you have to be able to get after the passer, and you have to be able to make game-winning and game-changing kind of plays, impactful plays on the offensive side of the ball. Because I just don't believe the Bengals' offense is that good. I, I don't care. I know that I know they're ranked ninth in the league right now. I mean, not offense defense. I know they're ranked ninth in the league right now. Listen, man. The first three games they played Pittsburgh with Mister Biscuit at quarterback, who is horrible. Let me just add that in. They went on to play the Cowboys with an injured Dak Prescott and Cooper rushing in his first start in the season. And they proceeded to lose that game. And they just played the New York Jets with Joe Flacco at quarterback. They haven't been playing world beaters at, in, t- in terms of talent on the offensive side, guys. They haven't. It, it, that's not the case. Now this is a whole different animal. You got Hill, Waddle, Gazicki, Tua coming to town with a, a pretty damn good offensive line, I will, my add. It's, it's, a, it's a different game. It's a different game. It's a different animal. But with that being said, I'm going to get off into my fan Q&A because I'm running a little bit over time. So let me go ahead and pull up these questions, guys. And remember, guys, remember what I said. If you want to ask me questions on my fan Q&A, just remember, you have to go to, <clears throat> excuse me, you have to follow me on YouTube or Facebook. You can add me on Facebook, subscribe to my YouTube channel. And on the YouTube channel, I post my shorts. And in the shorts, you will see that I actually post. Like, give me one second, guys. I'm sorry. You can see in my shorts, I actually post my Q&A post on there. You know, just comment below with your question. And on top of that, I also post on Facebook my Q&A. So if you want to check it out. Yeah, go ahead and go do that for me, man. So let me go ahead and get this pulled up. Uh, oh man, I can't right now. My apologies, guys. I'm just trying to pull this up. Maybe one second. Let me find it. All right, guys, so I got the questions now, so let's jump right into it. So this first question comes from my good friend of mine named Napoleon. He says, should the Dolphins start Skylar over Teddy if needed Thursday? The answer, no. No, I, listen to me. Skylar Thompson is a good story. He played well in the preseason, but he was playing against guys that are working at Foot Locker now. No. No. <laughs> no, he... He is not ready for those lights, man. Y'all do not do that to that man. No. Next question comes from KJ Early. Now, Dalton Bartley did ask, do I think the Giants have a chance to win tonight? But as we all see, the Cowboys did win. And I actually would have picked the Cowboys to win that game. So I would have told you no, but man. But KJ Early asks, will the Eagles win the NFC? This is a good question. And right now, 
I don't see how you can say they won't win the NFC. I just don't see too many teams being able to compete with them out there. I mean, just look around the NFC right now. Tampa Bay, they are wildly talented, but Tom Brady look like he's losing his step or two. So even though you're not willing to bet against him, you're it's he's no shoeing either how he looks. The Packers, young, no receivers, defense as overrated as ever. Got the Vikings who are just a roller coaster. You don't know what you're getting from them each week. The Rams defend the champs. You know, they could have figured it out, but at the end of the day, Stafford is dealing with a lingering injury that's not going to go away until he actually finishes the season. And their defense doesn't look otherworldly like how it has in the past. So it's a real possibility. It's a real possibility that they can win the entirety of the NFC. And right now, I think they're the favorites to win it. And then... This next question comes from Steven Decker. He says, what do you think of the Packers beating the Bucks?" What I think of it, honestly, I think it shows that the Packers can still win close games and they're still wildly competitive. Now, what does that mean? That means that this team can still get to the playoffs and win games that they are either close in or, you know, games that they need to basically get nitty-gritty in. So... I think it proves that the Packers still got something left in the tank. And then his next question comes from the Marchers Lowry. He says, who are your top three MVP candidates so far? All right. So off bat, there's two guys that come to mind off bat. Josh Allen and Lamar Jackson. To me, personally, if I had to get the edge in one or the other, I would give it to Lamar Jackson. Strictly because I believe he's working with a lot less than Josh Allen. I mean, Josh Allen has a damn good defense over there. He has a true number one wide receiver in Stephon Diggs, who is top five in his league without question or hesitation. And he has a really good coaching staff who has helped develop him along his, his way in the NFL. Now, Ken Dorsey threw a little temper tantrum, whatever the case may be, this last Sunday when he lost. But at the end of the day, he's still a good coach. So... He has a lot working over there for him, man. But if I had to choose a third guy at this point, I think I would go with. Honestly, man, I gotta go with. I gotta go with Michael Parsons, man. I mean, he what he's been doing is just otherworldly. Like this, this dude. Like I read a stat the other day. He has the highest percent pressure rate than any other player in the league thus far. He is pressuring the quarterback on 60% of his pass rushes. People, the league average is around 35%. Not, not, not even that high. It's like 20%. He has tripled that. Like, it, Listen, man. The man is in the MVP conversation for me. That's all I'm going to say. Next question comes from Mark Kiris. He says, when will a Steelers receiver get a touchdown? It has been three games without one. Hopefully, man, it'll be this week. Because <laughs> I, don't, I don't know. I mean, I'm going to say this about the Steelers, man. As long as Mr. Trubisky, y'all quarterback, I will not have any faith in the Steelers at all. At all. I just have zero faith in Mr. Trubisky. And... His next question comes from Dylan Roy Simmons. 
Have the Titans found the rhythm or are the Raiders that bad? No, the Raiders are that bad. And here's why the Raiders are that bad. I told people before I'm not high on the Raiders at all. I don't think the Raiders will be good. And a part of the problem right now is I watched some film and I also seen some segments on ESPN. Well, not ESPN directly, but it was from Dan Olowski. And for whatever reason, Derek Carr is is not throwing Devontae Adams the ball. And I'm talking about he is open on a lot of these plays that they showed on ESPN or even what i seen on film. He simply is not throwing him the ball, and I have zero idea why. I mean, I know they got to go through film, man, and just say, Carr, you like, what? like, what is going on? Man, like, these are throws you used to make in your sleep. Now we get we give this dude a hundred million dollars and you don't want to throw him the ball? Like I'm I'm not saying force feed him, but if he's open, this should be the first guy who gets the ball. So I'm just that's that's the biggest issue right now for them, and I don't think they could cover up right for nothing. That secondary isn't good. Next question comes from Will Party said, Will the Dolphins go 17 of No, they're not. They're, they're just not. Non Martinez, what advantage does home field give? Now, this is a question relating to the Dolphins game, I'm assuming, but the advantage home field give is drastically important and it's huge. For one, the crowd. The crowd can wreak havoc for the waiting, disruption, mess up their timing, have forced them to go into sign accounts entire games, lose sight of them. The play clocks and things of that nature, it really can. And then the, the elements as well. Like a team that's from up north come to Florida in September or, you know, in um, the not summer, but in the early seasons, early portion of the season, it's going to be hot. And if you're not used to being in 98, 95 degree weather, you're going to be blistering hot. So, yeah, those are the advantages, man. The fans and the elements. This next question comes from Owen Bunts. He says, are the Jags for real? I think the Jags are for real. Listen, the job Doug Peterson is doing with his team right now is, is extraordinary. He is developing Trevor Lawrence, who a lot of people believe are generational talent, is a generational talent, into a good-looking quarterback. I mean, over the last five games, he has five touchdowns, zero interceptions. I believe the last, not five games, the last two games, he has five touchdowns, zero interceptions. The two-game stretch right now, he's posted the best QBR in the league. I mean, they just beat the brakes off the Chargers, who by all accounts, a lot of people believe is the most talented roster and players in this entire league. Now, granted, they, they were hurt. They were missing some people. But at the end of the day, you, you can only play the guys that's on the field. That's all you can do. The Jaguars went out and beat the brakes off the Chargers. That's what I see and that's what I know. So yeah, I think the Jags are for real. And they have a strong chance now to win that division. Cause the Colts haven't looked as good as I thought they would, and the Titans are they're I don't I just think they beat a bad Raiders team. Mason Moon asks, how did the Chargers continue to put 20 dudes on IR before week eight every single year? Uh man, I don't know, man. It's just bad luck for them, man. It's it's honestly terrible to see because they got so much talent, man. You just be wanting to see them put it together for one season. Like, not even as a Chargers fan, but 
they just have too much talent on their roster to continuously disappoint or not live up to hype year after year. Like it, it must it must kill Chargers fans, bro. Like it must kill them. But that's all I got for now, guys. I appreciate y'all for tuning into the show once again, man. I be sure to like, subscribe on YouTube. I am there, Last Word Productions. Be sure to follow my socials: Instagram, TikTok. Twitter, Facebook, all the same at Last Word Productions. Thank you guys. I'll see y'all in the next one.